Hello and welcome to the Emily Cooper Show. My name is Emily Cooper, obviously, and I am a certified life coach and NLP practitioner. I am passionate about taking women from being stuck in their lives to being free and magnetic as fuck. On this podcast, I'm going to be giving you some no bullshit life advice by talking all things feminine flow, conscious relationships, mindset work, embodiment, abundance, and so much more. If you're interested in working with me, head over to my Instagram at Emily Viner Cooper, where I post loads more free content and I love interacting with my community. Without further ado, let's get on to today's episode. Hello, hello, welcome back. Or maybe I should say welcome back to myself, (laughs) seeing as I have not uploaded an episode in two weeks. A lot has been going on. Those of you who follow me on Instagram would know that I have had surgery, I've been a little bit ill, there's been lots of stuff happening in my work life, my social life, my family, so yeah, sometimes the podcast, seeing as it is free content, uh, will take a little bit of a backseat, but nevertheless, I do love to share, I do love to record these and to edit these, and actually that's a complete lie, I fucking hate editing them, but... (laughs) It's a very cool medium for me to share my thoughts and to connect with my audience. So here we are back again to give you a little bit of insight into the current scene. I am at home. It is 20 to 8 in the evening on a Saturday evening and the power has gone off in Cape Town, uh, or in the area where I live. Um, For those of you living overseas, South Africa has this highly annoying thing called load shedding, where your electricity gets turned off for two hours at a time, multiple times of the day, when the power supply in the country is low. So it's currently pitch black, dark as hell, I live on a farm, which makes it even darker, (laughs) and because the cell phone towers go down, I also don't have reception or Wi-Fi, which is fantastic. Anyway, I've lit some candles, I'm sitting in my bed, and we've still got about an hour here of no power. I was thinking about the whole Roe vs. Wade debacle that happened today, or at least we found out about it today. And I was going over my head, my various thoughts on it, and contradicting myself, and arguing with myself, and then I thought, hey, maybe I should put this into a podcast, and then I immediately thought, not a chance, do not put this into a podcast, it is too controversial, some of your views are too controversial, you will probably get hate for it, you'll probably get cancelled for it, it's nothing to do with your niche I suppose which it kind of really is but anyway there are all these thoughts of why I shouldn't do it and I'm I'm going to do it or at least if you're listening to it then not only have I recorded it but I've actually uploaded it too (laughs) um I'm going to do it I have not typed out anything this is purely just gonna flow and we're gonna see where we go with this 
And if you are someone that does get highly triggered by debate or potentially having your views questioned, then maybe this isn't the episode for you. Or maybe it really is the episode for you and take that trigger as something that can serve you and call you into a deeper questioning instead of using it outwardly as some form of snapback. And yeah, I think I'm just going to get into it. The, this is by no means my firm and solid viewpoint. It's merely an amalgamation of ideas that have come into my head over the last 12 hours of thinking about this. So don't take this as, you know, anything set in stone. If something resonates, cool. If something doesn't, then it doesn't resonate for you. And that's okay. It is okay for us to have different opinions and thoughts. And at the same time, I'm warning you now that I'm going to contradict myself over and over and over again in this episode because there is this part of me that is by degree and by previous profession a lawyer and will always be a lawyer and there's this part of me that is spiritual and conscious and awake and can see things at a more macro level than the sort of places that we get trapped and stuck as humans. In Buddhism, I believe, they refer to it as the maya, the dream, the illusion that us as humans get so locked into and so stuck and so obsessed with when actually there is a bigger picture, there is a zoom out, right? So these two forces and beings and personalities within me are definitely clashing at the moment and they are contradicting each other and so I'm going to present the views of both and see where it takes us and I doubt it's going to take me to any sort of resolution but thought it would be interesting it might be interesting content it might resonate let me know if it does let me know if it doesn't as well but just be kind <laughs> all right so as the lawyer right there is absolutely no pro-choice argument that you can give me that I have not read about and have not endorsed. Fundamentally, objectively, as a human, as a woman, as a female, I am pro-choice. I will never not be pro-choice, right? So let's just clear that up right now. And even if I was not pro-choice, the fact of the matter is, the objective reality is, that banning abortion does not stop abortion. Just like banning drugs does not stop drug use or abuse. It just happens illegally. It just creates a black market. And what happens when there's a black market? Well, there's increased danger because people go to desperate means to do the thing anyway, which means that not only are they engaging in illegal activity out of desperation, but they're also putting their health and safety at risk. When you go and get a backyard abortion, it is not with the proper procedure or in the proper environment, and it puts the woman at incredible risk to her life, to her health. It does not stop abortion. That is what we know. That is objective, whether you are pro-choice or pro-life, as they like to say, 
it does not stop abortion. End of discussion, right? Secondly, on this factual expose, is that pro-lifers are only pro-life to the point where the baby is born. From then, they don't care. Baby goes into foster care, baby gets adopted. In some very desperate circumstances, baby gets abandoned. Or in South Africa, we have a high rate of babies being thrown into dustbins or down toilets. The pro-lifers don't care from that point. They don't care that the US's foster system is shit. They don't care that tons and tons and tons of children have to grow up either being abused in foster homes, poor, or at the very, very, very best case scenario, they grow up in good homes but ultimately without their biological parents, knowing that they were let go. They are on the back foot from the moment they are born. Pro-lifers don't care. They only care that they are alive, that they were born. They don't care about the circumstances in which, into which they were born. So maybe we should start calling them pro-life. Maybe we should start calling them anti-woman. I don't know. The third fact that I know to be true is that forcing women to carry pregnancies to term and to give birth in no way forces the man who impregnated her to stick around and assist. Now, I'm not saying that it is only the man's fault for impregnating her, not at all. It takes two to tango. But somehow, there is not a mandate on the man to stick around and to equally support that child for its entire life. That doesn't exist. And if someone comes to me and says, oh yes, but you can claim maintenance from biological fathers, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what you'd maybe call it overseas, but in South Africa we call it maintenance, where the mother can claim from the father uh, financially for the upkeep of the child. Even if those laws are in place, I know certainly from being in the legal system in South Africa, they are not enough. To try and extract maintenance from a father when that father does not have money of his own is impossible. No court is going to order that a father pay due maintenance for a child if the father himself does not earn enough to do so, or barely earns anything at all. So what happens is that in poorer communities, if you force this mother to give birth and if this mother then keeps the child, she is fully responsible for the financial upkeep of the child, the emotional upkeep of the child. And yes, there are laws where she could go and claim money from the dad, but if the dad does not have the money, then what? Yes, there are state grants. I don't know what they're like in America, but in South Africa, they're pathetic. They're nothing. You don't get anything from a state grant. So whilst there are quote-unquote protections for a mother who is forced to give birth to help her, from my understanding of South African law, or rather my entanglement, enmeshment with, us, with South African law, it is not enough. I cannot speak for American law. I am not American. I've never studied American law. So maybe, maybe it's very easy to be a single mom in America, but I highly doubt it. I highly fucking doubt it.
So it just strikes me as incredibly unfair that we're forcing women to do something and we're not forcing men when each of them played an equal part in the creation of this child. Which takes me to my next point, when there are instances where there is not an equal part played, because maybe the act of making the child, of conceiving the child, was not consensual on the woman's part. Or maybe it was incredibly consensual, but the pregnancy is ectopic, or the fetus is unviable, then what? So now we're not only penalizing people that have accidentally fallen pregnant, but nevertheless it was consensual and it was informed. Now we're penalizing women for their biology making a mistake, for the embryo being implanted in the wrong place, or for the fetus not developing as it should have. We are penalizing women for something that they have no control over. And we're penalizing women who, in some cases, did not even want to do the act. I'm not going to use the word, but you know the word that I'm thinking of. So whilst I fully disagree with the total pro-life argument, it seems especially unfair for this last group of women. And not only unfair and unjust and immoral and evil, but actually fucking illogical. Imagine if somebody went into heart failure and they needed to have an operation on their heart and we said no. It was your job to keep your heart beating. You haven't kept your heart beating. So now you're not allowed to have an operation. Sorry. You've got to keep going on with this heart that isn't functioning and isn't viable and it is more than likely going to kill you, but it's your fault. You should have kept your own heart beating. Right? It's the same thing. And I know that the pro-lifers are going to go, well, it's not the same thing because a heart isn't a life. But an ectopic pregnancy or a fetus that is unviable is also not a life. Because that baby is not going to be born. In fact, I'm not even going to use the word baby because it's not a baby. That clump of cells is not going to be born. It is not viable. So it may as well be a heart or a muscle or a bone except it is even less useful. So I wanted to give the lawyer's perspective first, because she's very much there. Nothing that I've said I don't still agree with. And I wanted to give that perspective first, because what I'm going to say now is potentially somewhat controversial, and I wanted to make anybody listening to this aware of the fact that I am not ignorant, that I know this argument. And I could go on for ages and ages and ages giving you even more arguments. In fact, I will say just one more. And that is that the people most marginalized here, as always, are the poor. When you are wealthy, when you have contacts, when you have money, when you have access to society, law doesn't touch you as hard. Again, I say that being a lawyer myself. And the law is supposed to be neutral and it's supposed to be equally applicable. But on the ground, at the grassroots, it isn't. It isn't. Even if it comes down to the same criminal charge, the same court case, the same facts, the same jury, the poor person will not be able to pay for legal representation. 
The poor person will get a state-funded lawyer who is overworked and under-resourced. The rich person will get a private lawyer or an advocate who can dedicate all of his time, all of his energy to this case. Money will always, always be an influence. And if you have money, and if you have influence, and if you have power, if you really did not want to take this pregnancy to term, and you lived in a red state, there would be a way for you to make a plan. But poorer communities that don't know people, that don't have money for bribery, that can't just hop states or relocate, those are the ones that are most greatly impacted. And they are the most greatly impacted if they are forced to take the pregnancy to term and to give birth. Because if rich people are forced to take the pregnancy to term and give birth, they have the resources, they have the contacts, they have the money to support the child. They might not have wanted it, it might be against their family's beliefs or religious, there might be other reasons why they want an abortion, and those are equally as valid, but they would have the resources. Poorer communities do not. So not only are they less able to find a way around oppressive laws, they are also then more greatly impacted when the baby is actually born. Right. That's the last thing I'm going to say from the lawyer, right? And as I said, the lawyer is within me. And only a few years ago, I would be sitting here outraged and angry and violently shaking and tearful and emotional and overwhelmed at Roe vs. Wade. I would be. And I'd be posting all over social media about it. And I would be sharing angry quotes about men and the patriarchy. <laughs> and I would be attending marches or activating in some way, right? And in my current position in life and place in life with my current beliefs, I'm more hesitant. I'm more hesitant to stand in the activist role. And maybe this, what I'm doing right now, still is the activist role, just of a different nature. And the reason why I'm more hesitant to go into that immediate fight is because I question what it's doing to us on a macro level, what it's doing to our psyches. Now, before I explain what I mean by that, let me just preface with the fact that I am South African. I live in South Africa. South Africa has pretty watertight abortion laws in the sense that my right to bodily autonomy is heavily protected and therefore my right to have an abortion is heavily protected. Therefore, the lawyer is going to step in and say, well, this is a very privileged argument to make, the one that I'm about to make. It's very privileged. You're speaking from a place of privilege. And I just want to say that I don't deny that. I don't deny the fact that I am speaking from a place of privilege. Nevertheless, these are my thoughts, and these are the thoughts that I've been sitting with. So I'm going to speak them and see if it sticks. So I've been on Instagram a lot today, and I've been watching all of my friends, all of my South African friends with South African law degrees who are working at South African law firms, 
they've all been posting these quote posts of messages to men saying things like men your daughters and sisters and girlfriends and wives and friends and mothers are going through a lot today we are deeply oppressed today you need to stand by us you need to support us and it struck me as so odd because Seeing as this was coming from my South African friends, who I know have no ties to the US, no family members in the US, probably have never even been to the US, have no desire to go and live in the US, this is what they were saying. They were speaking about how they themselves and their mothers and daughters and sisters and friends and girlfriends and whatever are oppressed, are oppressed. We are oppressed. And it struck me as so odd because we are not. Nothing in my life has changed. And here's the lawyer speaking again. Oh, you're so privileged. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because nothing in my life has changed. And yet, a lot of women around me are accepting that they are oppressed by this judgment in America, thousands of kilometers away. How bizarre. How freaking bizarre. Because we are taking on and accepting and identifying with oppression that actually isn't ours. Nothing has changed in the lives of South African women, English women, South American women, even the women in blue states in America, European women. Asian woman, Australian, Australasian woman, the majority of women in this world, their lives haven't changed today. And yet somehow what's going on in the US means that women across the world have identified with this oppression. And why is this dangerous? Well, if you identify as oppressed, And you make that a core belief of I am oppressed, I am oppressed, I am oppressed. What are you going to experience in your external reality? What are you going to create, to manifest, if that is a core belief of yours, that you are oppressed? Oppressed by a judgment in a supreme court in a different fucking country. And it strikes me as so pivotal and so key to the wounded, wounded, wounded feminine that we so easily cling and grasp and identify with oppression. It's almost as if we do not know how to be women unless we are screaming about how oppressed we are. And that's not necessarily our faults. This is now the lawyer talking. It's not necessarily our faults. We lived in a patriarchal society for a fucking long time and to many, many, many degrees we still do. The pay gap still exists in many countries. Socially, women still are not seen as equal in many countries. Women have to fight to get the same amount of respect in the corporate world. So... In many respects, it's not our fault that we identify so heavily with oppression. But my question, my concern, my invitation is what is this quick-fire reflex 
identification with oppression doing to our psyches? What is it doing to the way that we're showing up in the world? Because if I believe on a fundamental level that I'm oppressed, I'm only ever going to show up in life as oppressed. I'm only ever going to create further oppression, whether that's financial oppression, oppression in my relationships, oppression at my workplace, oppression in my friendship groups, in my family. Oppression can come in many, many, many forms. And it scares me to death that women so easily, we are so quick to identify with it. It's almost like we are scared to be without it. And what are we without it? Well, we're fucking powerful. So are we quick to identify with oppression or are we scared of our own power? Because if we get rid of the oppression, we have no choice but to find power. And I think for many of us, for so many of us, we are deathly afraid of looking at ourselves and seeing just how powerful we are. Because if we are powerful, then we need to stop settling. We need to stop settling for the shitty relationships, the fucked up pay, the jobs that aren't fulfilling, the fucking country or neighborhood that we're living in that isn't fulfilling, every single thing that we as women settle for and take and take and take that we are not 100% happy with. If we see our power, we have no choice but to make changes. And I think for so many of us, that terrifies the shit out of us. So that is my first question and concern, right? That we hop into activism mode when for the majority of us, it doesn't affect us. And again, yes, it is privileged. And another counter argument is, well, if one woman's being oppressed, then we're all being oppressed, right? I understand that. I understand collective pain, I do, and I feel it and I experience it. And at the same time, for some reason, the US, and and not for some reason, it's because it's influential and it's powerful and it's big and it's Western, their decisions seem to have so much more influence or it seems to catalyze so much more fear and pain than other countries. For example, I've never heard someone say to me, well, women in certain countries in the Middle East aren't allowed to go to school or they don't have access to education. Therefore, I am oppressed. Instead, we see it as these Middle Eastern countries being backwards, but in our country, where we are allowed education, everything's cool. So we don't identify with the oppression of women in those countries. But somehow, when the U.S. does something, and obviously I'm speaking as someone that's outside of the U.S., not as someone that's inside of the U.S., when the U.S. does something, suddenly we identify with the oppression of people in that country, which is interesting. And it really just does concern me (laughs) how easily people sitting in fucking South Africa or in England or in Australia are identifying so quickly It's okay to say it's wrong. It's okay to say that you don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I don't. I really don't. I promise you that. I think objectively, it is shit. It is appalling. It is evil. But I did not spend my day writhing in anger and crying and having fits and ranting on social media about it. Because 
I simply did not identify with the oppression. I was like, okay, well, that's a fucking shit appalling decision, but I'm not going to take on that oppression. I'm not going to identify with it. I'm not going to claim it as my own. I'm not going to allow myself to feel like this small, weak, incapable woman because of something that's going on in America. And then the second thing that I suppose I have to say in regards to this whole issue, which would apply to American women as well, is that in certain instances, women give up their power to the government, to doctors, and then when these things happen, it feels like they're taking our power, but we're giving it up. So to be clear, I'm not speaking in this particular part, I'm not speaking about assault or ectopic pregnancies or fetus not being viable, all of that stuff, I'm not talking about that right now. Okay, I'm talking about your simple oopsie pregnancy, right? We give up our power to the medical system to make sure that we are not able to fall pregnant because we take pills and we get IUDs or Mirenas or copper teas and we, I don't know, use condoms and then we rely on the government to keep our reproductive health in order or, you know, safe and sound with their laws. So then when the medical system fails because you still get pregnant even though you take the pill or the condom breaks or whatever it is, and the government fails by changing their laws and fucking up, suddenly we're left quote-unquote powerless. And that could not be farther from the truth because we are not fucking powerless as women. We are so powerful. And all it takes is deep diving into knowledge of our own fertility, of our own reproductive health. For example, some women are absolutely baffled when I tell them that you can only get pregnant, your fertile window is only 24 hours a month. But sperm can live in the body for about five days. So technically, you have about a six-day window where you want to be careful. But you cannot get pregnant any day of the month. It is impossible. And yet so many women don't know that. But if we researched our own fertility, if we researched our own reproductive health, we learnt when we're ovulating, how to see and read our body and the signs and the symptoms, then we can take charge of our own health. We can take responsibility for our own health in the sense that we can make sure that in those five or six days, we are being careful, that we're not relying on pills or condoms. I mean, you can still, if that's your form of safety, or you can abstain, whatever it is, I don't know, I'm not here to tell you which is the best option, what I am here to say is that you can take charge, you can take responsibility, you can stop outsourcing your power to 
the doctors and the government to tell you, okay, cool, you're now not going to be able to fall pregnant. And then you do. And you live in a red state. Right? Taking responsibility, as hard as it is, sometimes, for the mind, is going to leave you in a much more powerful, there's that word again, position, because you are equipped with the knowledge to make sure that you do not fall pregnant. For example, whilst I am pro-choice in life, for myself, only for myself, I don't think I would ever be able to go through with an abortion. I always knew that if I did fall pregnant, chances are I would keep the baby. But in a sense, within myself, within my mind, I didn't have a right to abortion, right? In the sense that I myself had taken it away from myself. And that did not stop me from having sex. That did not stop me from the occasional naughty night with someone that, you know, like I wasn't in a committed relationship with. What it did do is force me to fucking learn how my body worked. It forced me to stop relying on doctors and pills and things that have a 93% effective rate, effective rate, efficacy, whatever, forced me to take responsibility. So again, this is not me saying that I approve of anything that's happening in the US at the moment, but what what I am saying is that I think that a lot of the hysteria kind of comes down to the fact that women have outsourced their power to such a large degree. And it is on us to take that responsibility into our own hands and to take our power back. And even when it comes down to abortions themselves, there are natural ways, not backyard ways, natural ways. There are herbs, right? I'm not going to go into that, but there are ways. So again, this is not referring to the scenarios of a lack of consent or of ectopic or of any of that. This is purely referring to the oopsie moments. We nevertheless have power, but it is in that belief that we are powerless, in that belief that we rely on the government and the doctors to give us our power or to somehow keep us going. That is where we fall so fucking short. So I think that's kind of the end of where I'm going to go with this. And as I said, some of the things here have, you know, are controversial and, and certainly I questioned myself for even thinking this way. And I still am questioning myself for thinking this way. But it nevertheless struck me today that in days gone by, this sort of an announcement from the US, not from my own fucking country, would have shaken me to my core and I would have adopted this mindset of I am in a jail, I am oppressed, I am not free and it just, it scares me, it scares me how women are so quick to identify with oppression instead of noting objectively that it's fucked up and that it's evil and that it's wrong and then sourcing from within seeing through the mire, through the shitstorm, through the media, through the hype, through the division, 
and saying, hey, where's my power? Has my power been truly removed? Am I truly powerless? Even if I'm living in the middle of a red state, am I truly powerless right now? What can I do? How can I make sure that even when the fucking government is doing its thing and it's falling apart, how can I make sure that I've got myself? How can I be so fucking grounded in my knowledge, in my worth, in my fucking power, that I'm unshakable no matter what's going on outside? And that's what I refer to when I say that I have this macro consciousness that's developed in the last couple years where I can see both sides so easily. Not both sides, but I can see the human upset and the, the inequity and the fucked upness. That's the lawyer, that's the human, and then I can zoom out. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. What's going on here? Because I can promise you that me feeling oppressed today, me feeling small, and sad, and shaken, and broken, that's not going to do anything for the women in America, that's not going to do anything to reverse what has happened today, it is only going to contribute to it, it is only going to play into the narrative that they want us to play into, which is to keep us fucking small, so anyway, that's my thought, many thoughts. The power has now come back on, so I am going to carry on with my evening, and yeah, my love does go out to you if you are in America. I feel you, I see you, but I'm just reminding you right now that you are by no means powerless. Your power has not been taken away at all, and I'll see you in the next episode.